so much of the worship time this morning was was for my heart. I love watching the Lord build the service in the way he, by his spirit, that he weaves things together um, in specific little details for our hearts. I am who you say I am. That's my passion for each one of us to be able to live there. Not from our heads, but from our hearts. To know what the Father says about you and me, and to live out that truth. Last evening we talked about lies, and the ways that those, and then live out of, out of that pain, negative thoughts. One of the, <clears throat> one of the comforting things to me is um, the words of the song that we just sing. Hallelujah. All my ways are known to you. A lot of my life I lived with the crazy notion that somehow the things that I was doing in secret, he didn't know about. But he did all the time. My ways were known to him. And he never gave up on me. He never left me, never left me alone. And then, I'm not sure who on the worship team picked the song that was just a special hug from the Father for me. Eight years ago, um, on New Year's Day, I was beside my mother's bed as she slipped away to glory. And Andy or Ryan or whoever couldn't have known that one of those uh, Showalter favorites that I grew up with and that was always there was that hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. As my mother aged, uh, she began to lose the sharpness of her. Her short-term memory was probably about Ten seconds long. One evening we were, um, well, they they moved in with us and, and we were caregivers. But one evening we were having our sort of bedtime devotions and and being together. And I asked my mother, I said, Mom, what shall we sing? She said, Let's sing Great is Thy Faithfulness. So we sang all three verses from memory. And then I asked again, I said, Mom, what, what shall we sing next? And she thought a little bit. She said, let's sing Great is Thy Faithfulness. So we sang it again, all three verses. And then I asked her again, Mom, what shall we sing? Let's, let's sing Great is Thy Faithfulness. So we sang it the third time. And the fourth time, um, when she said, let's sing Great is Thy Faithfulness, I said, I said, well, Mom, we just sang that. And she was the most agreeable, gracious. And she said, oh, yeah, that's right. 
And so all of my ways, hallelujah, my ways are known to him. Your ways are known to the good father. And he loves to just reach out in the, what I call coincidences and wrap us in his embrace. I love watching the ways that Jesus shows up by his Holy Spirit. And I, I loved your stories last evening and just hearing as you shared your hearts, your stories. The ways that Jesus is meeting you and, and coming. I didn't stay quite till the bitter end, but I was here for most of the evening. And I just, I am so grateful for the ways that you are in the journey, on the way, and the ways that we're meeting Jesus and surrendering to him in new, profound ways. In John chapter 7, Last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and, and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come. And that's, that's his invitation to you and me this week. And as long as we live, come to me and drink. He who believes in me and drinks deeply of that water of life as the scriptures said, from his innermost being will flow what? Rivers of living water. But then the next verse is so profound and so important. But this he spoke of what? The Spirit whom those who had believed in him were to receive. That's you and me. I love reading secular journals. And there's lots of research out there that talks about how, how creative you and I are and how productive we are in our work or whatever when we are in the flow. That's no less true for you and me being in the flow of the Spirit, being in the river. And you're finding your way into that river, I believe. So, I would just encourage you to be intentional about staying in the river. There's times when I, all of a sudden, after a busy time, I feel dry or empty and I realize... I'm, I'm standing on the bank. And I say, Jesus, get me back into the river. I want to live in the river. It's where I want to stay. I don't know if you can remember from our very first session, my introduction, when I talked about cardio support, heart care, if you will, the way that we... Guard our hearts. Like the writer said, 
with all keeping, with all diligence. It's out of our hearts that that river flows. And it's critical that you and I learn to find the ways to stay, to, to be intentional about keeping our hearts, getting the supplements, getting whatever it is that we need for heart health. I talked about identity and how, how the words that we just sang, I know that I, I am who you say that I am. It's powerful if you and I can get to the place of living there, not perfectly, but significantly and profoundly. The list that I gave you of, of the other, what would we say, the other supplements that you and I need to focus on um, were repentance, doing those 180-degree turns to get on track. I talked about the need for forgiveness, and we've, we've sort of camped there. It's, it's one of those profound pieces of, of cardio support, of, of heart care, if you will. Talked about family sin patterns. Don't know if we'll get there yet or not. Maybe tomorrow if, if the Lord gives us time. Talked about heart healing, and that's where I'd like to spend a bit of time after some review this morning. I talked about fears. Another one of those. Um, so you pray with me uh, for my last session tomorrow. I don't know where Jesus will take us for that, whether it's around the generational things that you and I carry, the baggage that shape and define who we are. Uh, or whether it's fears or perhaps strongholds. I'd like to review, though, for a few moments, the key elements of forgiveness. Because that's where you and I live. The enemy, from the moment of conception, I believe, begins... His efforts, his strategies to steal, to kill, and to destroy. To rob you and me of everything that the good Father wants to give us. And he does that by twisting and corrupting God's design for us. And so let's, let's keep running to the house of the God of Jacob. So that he can show us the way he works. Because if we don't understand the way he works, we can never hope to live significantly the way that he planned for you and me to live. In marriage, if he takes us there, in our families of origin, with siblings, with friends, and so on. And he brings pain. We live in a broken world. We live in a world that's at war. But the good news is that Jesus said he came to heal broken hearts. And I am so, so grateful that he is the healer and that he will heal our hearts if we get those deep wounds to him. 
And so I just want to encourage you to keep coming back again and again and again with the pain, with the hurts, with the abuses, with whatever all those things are that the enemy wants to use to hold you hostage. I heard it a variety of ways last evening. Just the encouragement to come out of the darkness. Lies for you and me is that I'm the only one that's going through what's happening. Nobody else can possibly know what I'm in the middle of, how broken I am, how addicted I am, how painful this is. Nobody else is like that. When the reality is, as you began to hear last evening, we're surrounded by others who who do understand and who get it. One author said, you are only as sick as the secrets you keep. I think there's a lot of truth to that. That's true for me. I was sick because I lived with the poison, the toxicity, if you will, of bitterness and resentment and anger. So let's review those four key elements of forgiveness that I gave you. Can you help me out? What what was the first one? When you and I come to the cross, we need to release. Cancel the debt. I need to release the person that wounded or offended me or violated me. Abused. Simply didn't know how to love me in the case of a broken dad who wants to be the best dad that he knows how to be, but he has no clue how to really shepherd my heart or to connect with me emotionally. So the first thing is to release. Second step was what? Pay. Thanks, Steve. Be willing to pay the price, the cost of that offense, of that abuse. Forgiveness is costly. It's not easy. But it's critical if you and I are going to find freedom and healing. Third step was what? Take back the ground, Amber. I remembered. Take back the ground, recapture the place that the enemy finds in my soul in the pain, because of the pain. Don't give him an inch. Don't give him one cell in your body to maintain a place, in a sense, behind the lines. But invite the Holy Spirit to throw him out. And then the final step was what? And I told you that in my journey, I I could work through, I'd, I'd listen to the sermons and I'd work through the first three, but I didn't know how to get to that last step of letting Jesus be who he said he came to be. And that's the healing. And it's not rocket science. It's not, it's not a formula. But it's being willing to bring our pain to Jesus and invite him to do what only he can do. We need people. Yes, we need the people around us to be Jesus to us. 
but I don't believe that your healing or mine is limited by what people do around us. If I, if I limit that to, to their responses, then I'm limiting the power of God, I believe. My opinion. <clears throat> and so my encouragement to all of us is to, is to keep coming back over and over and over again to the cross and inviting Jesus to heal our hearts. <clears throat> I started off when Monday morning with that verse, Paul's encouragement to Timothy to be an example of the believers. And I'm a couple generations beyond you, but I understand that one of the, one of the drives your generation is to be an influencer in one way or another, to be an example. And so my prayer is that you stay on that journey. <clears throat> One of the ways that the enemy comes to you and me to steal, to kill, to destroy is to target what I call the burning questions that Jesus wires into our DNA from conception. Um, some of you probably are familiar with those burning questions, but I like to talk about those a bit um, and see if they connect in some ways with you. So, <clears throat> in the heart, in the heart of every little boy, from conception, from birth, there is a burning question that was put there into our in, by the Father. Anybody bump into the, that question, or have you heard this? perspective discussed? What's my purpose in life? That's, that's, it sort of gets to that, but not quite. I, I love watching, I'm sorry, who am I? That sort of dancing around it. Why? Um, no, not quite. I love watching little guys, two-year, two-year-olds, three-year-olds with their dads. I, I watch a little guy crawl up on the couch beside his dad, and he pulls his leg up and he crosses his knee just like dad, and then he's looking out of the corner of his eye at dad, and he's doing, he's doing this, trying to get his arms folded just like that. Or a little guy who wants the suspenders or the cap or the boots or whatever. His eye is on dad. And so the question that I've, I've come to believe is one of those ways that God works in the heart of every boy <coughs> growing up. And it may sort of or shift a bit. But the question is, do I have what it takes 
Bonnie, would you mind grabbing me some water or something? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Do I have what it takes? Can I be a real man? At, at one point, it's, can I be successful in life? Can I support a wife and family? Can I be a good dad? Do I have what it takes? Second piece of that, I believe, one of the, the way that God works is that He wants dads to answer that question. A lot of us as dads don't even know that there is a question. We want to be the best dad that we know how to be. We're not aware of a question. And so, <clears throat> I was on a journey for a lot of my life looking for a dad. Thank you. Uh, the, the good father knew that his son in the flesh needed to know what he thought of him. And so he spoke audibly from heaven, what, two or three times. And said what? Shape up. Why can't you get it right? Is that what your Bible says? What did he say? This is my son. My Showalter version of that is, I am so proud of him. Listen up. Hear what he said. I'm, I love this guy. And by the way, I tell dads oftentimes, that's the model that the Father gave us as dads with our sons and daughters in, in a variety of ways. That's what they need to hear from us, that they have what it takes. You can, you can do this. <clears throat> and if that question is never answered, then we're suckers. For the enemy who knows that question. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he'll use all kinds of other things to try to help us find the answer to that to become men. And he knows, frankly, he knows the power of our sexuality. And so he... He plays us for suckers in thinking that a woman can make us a man. All you have to do is listen to the lyrics of all the, all the country music songs and the current stuff out there. I'm not, I won't quote some of those for you. But here's the reality. It's another one of those ways that God works. A woman cannot confer masculinity. She's a woman. It has to be it's the good father. He is the only one that can make you and me men. That can set us free from probably generations of lostness, of not knowing who we are. And so guys, find the way to keep running to Jesus. Ask Him to show you the Father, the good Father who's crazy about you. 
so that you can live in that hallelujah. He knows everything about me. He knows my ways. And I am who He says I am, not who the enemy wants me to believe that I am. Rightly or wrongly, I've just come to believe that these profound places of brokenness and addiction as it relates to our sexuality are tangled up in that question, the way God works in you and me as men. Well, let's move on. There's also a little girl. And it's not, do I have what it takes to be a man? (laughs) What is it? What do you think it is? Sort of, but not quite. Am I beautiful? Am I beautiful? I love watching little girls around that question. I have three granddaughters. Yesterday was the second oldest 19th birthday. But when they were like this, they would come to visit. My wife would go to... Salvation Army or to Goodwill and come home with a big box of dress-up clothes. And it was good for a week of entertainment. And I can still see the third granddaughter, Elsa, come into the living room. I was there on my lazy boy, maybe with a book or a laptop or whatever. And she would come in with her big hat and her jewels and scarf and gloves and long dress and heels And I can still see her coming in to the middle of the living room floor. Am I beautiful? For me, I'm at a place where I believe that's a given in the heart of every little girl. I believe it's the way God works. It begins... It begins to change slightly with adolescence, with growing into womanhood. And it shifts slightly to, am I attractive? Will I attract the eyes, the heart of a man who will choose me out of all the millions of women on the planet as his wife? As the only woman in his eyes and in his heart. And by the way, guys, that's why pornography is so devastating to a young woman or to your wife. The message in pornography is, yes, I chose you as the only one. But no, I toss you back out into the pool, into the pond, and no, you're not the only one. You're only one of millions. And it's crushing. It's devastating. 
the enemy knows that question also, by the way. I believe it's no different for a daughter than for a young son. I believe God plans for dads to be the primary answerers, if that's a word, to that question. Not in sensual, sexy ways, but just beautiful. How could mom and me be so lucky that out of all the families on the planet, God picked us for you as a son or as a daughter? I'm so grateful. But then the enemy also comes. And here again, I tell dads often, if you don't answer that question in the heart of your daughter, in her quest to find an answer... She may find somebody that you really don't like and that's not healthy or even appropriate. And again, it's where I believe that for you and me, excuse me, we have a, a good, good father. It's who he is. And he's the one who ultimately answers those burning questions. For each one of us. Okay. That was just introduction, by the way. So I will try to stop by soon after 11. A couple years ago, I was helping to move one of those big old upright pianos. And and you know what the, the back side of that looks like with the beams and all the stuff that allows for those all those strings to be tightened and tuned well in the in the process i ran a, a splinter into this into the side of my index finger now i i think i told you that i have a low pain threshold and so I got a pair of tweezers, and I, I, I got a hold of the end of that that I could see, and I, I pulled it out. And it was probably, I don't know, a quarter of an inch. And I threw some antiseptic, antibiotic cream on it and thought, I'm good to go. <clears throat> but I wasn't good to go because my finger, the, where the splinter had gone in, that healed up, but... My finger, it didn't swell horribly, but it was just a tad puffy. And, and if I would even touch it ever so slightly, it, ah, it drove me to tears. And as the week wore on, I found myself driving like this and babying, protecting that finger because it hurt like crazy. And about two weeks in, I saw on the opposite side, I saw a little brown pimple. I thought, that's crazy. What is that? And it broke open. And so through my tears, I got my tweezers and I got a hold of something and out came another quarter of an inch, the other half, if you will, of that splinter. It had worked its way through. I sat and I cried. Tears ran down my cheeks as I squeezed it 
in a hot, hot basin of Epsom salts or water or something, and I dabbed on the antiseptic cream again, and it healed up, and I was good. You know, you and I, I think all of us have splinters in hearts that can cause incredible amounts of pain as they get infected. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, suffers, all the members suffer with it. I love the way you rallied, you surrounded each other in the pain last evening and suffered, identified with brothers, sisters, friends in the pain that they were walking through. I don't know if you've ever heard someone say, don't be so childish. Don't be making a mountain out of a molehill or why so much drama <laughs> over nothing? And some of us understand the feeling of that finger when all it took was, I mean, ever so slight pressure to drive me crazy. And so you and I react in ways that seem totally out of proportion to whatever the event is. I've said it in a number of ways. We live in a broken world. And we will inevitably experience pain and trauma. It's, it's life. But we're not all the same. We didn't grow up in the same families of origin. We don't have the, the same generational sin patterns. We don't carry the same backpack, if you will, of baggage. And I want to affirm again, I want you to hear me, last evening in the mosh pit was the beginning. It's the place where Jesus, by His Spirit, wants to take you and me to walk us out of the darkness into the light, into self-awareness, into understanding where we come from, why we are the way we are, why we get angry, or why we are so touchy or so sensitive. I've heard no end of painful, painful stories over the last 20 years. All around the world, different cultures, different ethnic groups, different circumstances. I was in India a few years ago, and, and I was sharing with an interpreter, and, and I hadn't even quite gotten through what I intended to share, and, there, and people were coming forward. Beautiful, beautiful young mothers who were in arranged marriages, whose they should marry this man. They went to live with him, and they were like slaves in the family, broken situations, crushing, devastating stories of sexual abuse and violation. But the result is always the same. And apart from what the Holy Spirit does when He comes to heal our hearts, 
those wounds we will carry, and they will shape and define and affect every area of life. I said on, on Monday, one author says, we marry to the level of our brokenness. A wounded heart always finds a wounded heart. And so I bring, unless, unless Jesus heals my heart, I bring all the pain, all the baggage to the altar without even knowing it. Somebody said, then it's like pines trying to cuddle. Or another guy said, it's two ticks and no dog. You and I, we come to marriage dying to be loved, to be cherished, to be the only one, to find a best friend that honors that just likes me a lot. But in our brokenness, we can't give to the other what they And so, like we've said, and like others of you have talked about, out of our pain we find whatever our medication of choice is to numb the pain, and it usually only adds to the pain. Do any of you, I know you're way too young, do any of you recognize the names Simon and Garfunkel? Oh, some of you do. Somebody reminded me, what's, what was their sort of swan song? What? Sound of Silence? Well, that one too. That one. Let me read you the lyrics. Paul Simon. A winter's day in a deep and dark December. I am alone, gazing from my window to the streets below on a freshly fallen, silent. I am a rock. I am an island. I've built walls. A fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. Don't talk of love, but I've heard the words before. It's sleeping in my memory. I won't disturb the slumber of feelings that have died. If I never loved. I never would have cried. I am a rock. I am an island. I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I am shielded in my armor, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one, and no one touches me. I am a rock. I am an island. And a rock feels no pain and an island never cries. The reality for you and me in our pain is that we do tend to build walls. And in the process, we keep God and others out, living alone, just denying, trying not to feel the pain. And one of those ways that God works is He created you and me. We have to do something with pain. 
So the only answer is to invite Jesus in and to take the walls down. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God and stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. He was wounded for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought him, that brings you and me peace was on him. And that last line is powerful and profound. It's by his wounds, by his stripes that you and I are healed. Peace. The Greek word is shalom, wholeness, well-being. God created you and me for wholeness. The enemy's agenda is the, the opposite. And it's out of his wounding. Some of the places that I have grown the most have been the most pain-filled times. Those were the times when Jesus showed up. And just wrapped me in his embrace. And he is the one who knows how to redeem the suffering. You and I should never blame God for evil. He doesn't cause evil. He's a good father. And we know that in all things he works for our good. Because we love him. Because we've been called. And he goes on to say in that in that context that we are conformed to the image of His Son. And so no matter how brutal the pain is, how horrible the abuse, Father God is the Redeemer. I always cringe when I hear someone say, God brought this abuse into my life for a reason. No, God doesn't bring torture. God doesn't bring rape. God doesn't bring abuse. But He is the Redeemer. We talked about, we began with a review of forgiveness. When it comes to forgiveness and healing, God has His part, and you and I have part, is to simply walk in obedience, to do the cold, hard, intellectual, academic exercise of releasing and canceling the debt. You and I can't heal ourselves. Nobody else can heal us. And when we expect others to do, to heal us or to to be that for us, it's an empty dream. Only Jesus heals hearts. And I read... I've shared this number of ways when he read from Isaiah. Back to Eden. He invites you and me to come out of hiding. He won't force us. He'll let us live our lives with the pain, with the darkness of those secrets. That's the enemy's lie for you and me that nobody will understand. I'm the only one that is hurting this bad or in this way. I'm the only one who was abused this Horrifically. The reality is that there are others around us who know very well of that. I've heard you talk about, different ones of you say, I don't want to badmouth my dad. I don't want to put my dad down. That's part of 
For some of us, that's part of our, our ethnic roots. We've grown up with a strong sense of loyalty to our parents in our Amish, Mennonite, Anabaptist tribe, if you will. And so hear me, it's about blaming our parents or blaming our siblings or cousins or whoever. But it's about answering Jesus' invitation when he says, Adam, Eve, where are you guys? Will you come? Will you bring your trash, your garbage to me and let me be your healer? And so the reality is one of the ways that I believe God works is that if we're going to find heart healing and freedom, we need to be willing to unpack the baggage. Surgery is painful. But I, my finger was not going to get better until I got rid of the infection. And sometimes you and I need to go under the knife, if you will. When I sit with a couple that's plowing through the deep, deep pain and, the, and trying to understand the walls and the barriers that keep them from finding each other, I say, it's a good pain. It's a good pain when we come to Jesus. Well, let's wrap this up. <clears throat> what are some of the process principles? <clears throat> Please don't let your journeys end with an evening like last evening. It was an amazing, an amazing step, a beginning, if you will. I, and, and I affirm everything that was happening here. But just walking into the light and just saying this is what happened doesn't always bring you, will drag you and me back into the, into the pain of that. I've talked about Isaiah chapter 2 verse 3. Let's run to the house of the, of the God of Jacob and invite him to show us the way he works. So what are some of those process principles? I don't think God's number one priority with you and me is to fix us. Others have said it so well. I love the way Michael walks us in this. You and I have a father who is a relational God and he yearns. Oh, he wants intimacy with you and me. That's why he gave us the choice to choose either for him or against him. He doesn't want robots. Jesus looking out over Jerusalem said he, like a, how was it, like a mother hen takes her chicks under her wings. He said, I just long to take you to my heart. But you wouldn't. And sometimes we get stuck in, in looking for a quick fix rather than the process, the journey. Theology 101 one guy talks, he says, God is smart. He knows stuff that we don't know, and he loves to tell you and me. The bottom line is that Jesus knows our hearts. Hallelujah. He knows our ways. He knows where we've been hurt. He knows how to heal us. And our stories are so important in this process. Bonnie and I sit with a couple. The very first thing we do is listen to the story. 
And here is where they've been. Oftentimes, it doesn't, after sitting with three or four hundred couples, it doesn't take long to understand how they got there. A lot of times as we share our stories, we begin to connect the dots and understand the lies that we have believed. When I listen to a story, I'm also listening to the whispers of the Holy Spirit and trying to understand and not jump to quick conclusions or assumptions. I have a dear, dear friend. And at my age, I... Forgive me if it's a repeat. A dear friend, truck driver, who's free from 10 years of prostitution. His story began when he was a two-year-old with a babysitter that violated him. That was where the enemy got his foot in the door. That was the door point to a life of failure and pain. And the final principle, only Jesus can heal the heart. I'm not bashful about telling people that a lot of a lot of the time I don't have a clue what I'm doing. But God is smart. He knows the ways. He knows my way. He knows your way. He knows everything about us. And so the best thing that I can ever hope to do with someone who is desperate for freedom or healing is to get them to Jesus. So that he can heal. I have a good friend, Randy Hamrick, who does the same kind of intensive ministry couples that Bonnie and I do. And people say, so Randy, how successful are you with couples? And he says, 100%. And then he goes on to say, when people come to me, my whole goal My purpose, my agenda is to love them. That's it. Just to love them and let Jesus do the rest. And so if I can love people, I'm 100% successful. You've heard me say it in a variety of ways this week. One of the primary ways that the Holy Spirit comes to heal our hearts is in the way that Jesus comes into those painful memories. And I could tell you stories the rest of the day. I'm reminded of a young lady, a young woman who went to Africa as a missionary. Convinced that Jesus had called her there. But she, as she began ministering, she was overwhelmed and overcome with fear. Paralyzed by fear. And after her first term, she came home. She said, I'm done. I can't, I can't do this. But she didn't just sweep it. She didn't try to get on with life. She began asking the why questions. Who didn't know where to go with it either, but who said the Holy Spirit knows. Jesus knows everything about you, so let's ask Jesus to bubble up any memory or anything that we need to know, that we need to get to Him. And as they prayed together, the Holy Spirit triggered a memory for her when she was two or three years old. She loved her daddy. And one of the things that they loved the most was to tussle on the living room floor together. And during one of those tussling times, Dad grabbed a pillow and put down across her face. She thought she was going to die. She couldn't breathe. 
And that was where the enemy got his foot in the door and began to build a fortress, a stronghold of fear in her heart. They ran to Jesus with that. Jesus, what's your truth for me? What do you want me to hear from you about this? And as they waited, the Holy Spirit came and spoke very clearly to to her heart when Jesus said, I was there. I was there. I'm the one who made a little tunnel under that pillow so that you could breathe. That's why you're alive today. I was there for you. And she burst out laughing. And the fear was gone. Her heart was healed. You shall shall experience the truth of Jesus. And when you experience the truth, Okay, we must wrap this up. Oftentimes, even though we know it in our heads that Jesus said, I'll never leave you, never forsake you, in our hearts, we're not always aware of where He is or how He is present with us. And so it's, it's His coming to be the truth that sets us free. God created you and me with minds, with with our imagination, and when we invite Him to come to renew our minds, He'll do that. I love watching the way that Jesus will come to sanctify your imagination, my imagination. And it's the way that we expect to be our healer. I never know how Jesus comes by His Spirit to, to be the truth. I wouldn't be here this morning if I didn't get to watch Jesus come, to watch Him show up. So we need to learn to be open to the ways that the Holy Spirit comes to be the healing presence of Jesus. You and I need to simply trust Him because He alone is the healer. As we close, I'd like to just take a moment or two and say with my Holderman friends, there is liberty. Is there anything that any of you would share? Anything that the Holy Spirit connected in a new way or reminded you of thing you knew before or something that you sensed the Holy Spirit saying to you these days? Anyone? No pressure. I'm sort of a simple guy. And for me, sanctification is just a theological word which means becoming like Jesus. It's a journey. The rest of my life, I will be on this journey. Anyone else?
so for you to think about, I, uh, my understanding is that we have about 15, 18 minutes now until lunchtime. I don't, I don't see Michael. Um, I'm sorry. 11.30 is lunch. So this is, is time for you to find a quiet place or find someone to talk with, to pray with. And so I would just, I'm going to leave this up for the moment. Invite Jesus by the Holy Spirit to simply bubble up in your mind a wound, a hurt. And then ask Him how He wants to connect with that pain. Maybe it's just as simple as inviting Jesus to come. And then listening and following. Sometimes... I think we tend to brush things off. Yeah, that didn't, that had nothing to do with anything. Don't be quick to do that. You might be surprised how significant it was in the shaping, defining of your, your person. And as, as you leave from here this weekend, Stay in the journey with Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to bring whatever He wants to your heart, to your mind. Invite Jesus into those places. And then listen to the nudges, to the prompts of the Holy Spirit. My sheep hear my voice. That's a promise. That's a promise. Find a friend. Find somebody who who also wants to... Live in the river and experience more of Jesus' touch, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Take time to pray for each other. And in the process, learn to talk less and listen more. Listen to the voice of the shepherd. I don't know where you are in your walk or your journey into the river, learning to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Learn together with someone to hear His voice. Listen to the whispers, the nudges of the Holy Spirit as you are an example of believers and as you learn to hear the voice of the shepherd.